Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the Tough Love Terry podcast. I am excited to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Lauren Ranley, and she is a dietitian who works specifically with um, people in eating disorder recovery. And one of her areas of specialty is helping parents learn how to instill positive um, habits and behaviors and talk about food and um, bodies and things like that so that uh, ideally while it's not 100% foolproof ideally children will grow up with less likelihood of um, being diagnosed with an eating disorder so yeah, we talk a lot about a lot of different things, but mostly we are focusing on how to instill children with the appropriate ways to talk about food and bodies and so on. And yeah, you know it, it starts with the parents first. So yeah, settle in and get ready to listen. Before we fully jump in, I want to take a moment to remind you of the Beyond the Body member site. This is a space where I share daily different writings, uh, sometimes voice notes, and beautiful things to live an intentional, empowering life. Uh, So it's only $8 a month, and it does help to uh, facilitate this podcast, which is amazing. But more importantly, it allows you to get to know me on a whole different level than what you normally would see on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, While I share quite a bit of myself on those platforms, this one goes even a little bit deeper. And so this is specifically for folks who are looking for an an intentional, and I use that word because it just doesn't happen across your newsfeed. You do have to log in, you do have to show up, and you do have to engage with the content. Uh, But we have monthly challenges and really fun things to help you just become more self-aware and empowered and, you know, get closer to body and self-love, which is obviously my jam. So check it out. You can head to the website, terryhoffer.com and click on the Beyond the Body member sign up and just see what it's all about. All right, let's get into the episode. Recording. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. And I am super excited because I am here with Lauren. Though every time I come on the podcast, I always say I'm super excited. So I just get to talk <laughs> to really cool people. Um, and Lauren, you are a registered dietitian, but I'm going to get you to go ahead and give us more of a idea of who you are. Tell us who you are. Yes. So I am a registered dietitian. Um, my private practice is solely focused on helping those with eating disorders and disordered eating, um, and, you know, working on body image, which they all kind of go hand in hand. Um, and it's a tough process, but I think having a registered dietitian on your side, as far as, you know, coming through the journey of recovery, um, it's instrumental in fixing that or helping fix that relationship with food. Um, so this has like been a passion of mine all throughout school, all throughout my internship. I've always known that I wanted to work with eating disorder and disordered eating. So um, here I am. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And that's definitely like, uh, obviously, there's a lot of need for that help, especially around eating disorders and things like that, because it is more complex than I think people think it is. Um, when I was like starting to learn about body image, I was like, you know what, I don't really know too much about eating just like actual eating disorders. So I started reading about them. And I was like, Oh, it is like, very complex, like it is a mental health uh, very much yes. a mental health disorder, right? One of the leading, one of the leading causes of death in mental health, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's like the number one yeah. um, deadliest you know, mental illnesses. Sounds kind of scary, but it is scary. I was like, let's start um, this off on such a positive note. <laughs> but the thing is, there is hope. <laughs> this is the thing. Yes. Um, and so, so at what point in people's journey, do you kind of come into play? Is it when they're going like in recovery at that point and they're looking for somebody to kind of hold them not hold them accountable, but just kind of help them through that recovery process of, um, basically shifting their relationship with food, I would assume, because that's 
what has to happen? Yes. So there's actually, there should be a dietitian involved in essentially every step of the recovery, um, whether it's somebody who's in like a residential facility. Um, usually, you know, we're there to set up meal plans and make sure they're safely starting to reintroduce more food because, you know, if you go from a place of maybe restricting or binging a lot, then, you know, there are some health issues that can come up if you start to eat too much too quickly. Mm -hmm. So as a dietitian, that's where we come in at that point. You know, when people get to a point where they don't need to be necessarily in a residential or even in like a, you know, half and half type deal, you know, an outpatient dietitian can continue with like, you know, getting more food in or, you know, helping you get to a more point where you're not thinking so hard about everything you have to eat. Cause in the beginning, that's exactly how it has to be, unfortunately, because you know, we have a we have a goal in mind, you know, to get you to a, a point of medical stability. Um, but as an outpatient dietitian, I do a lot more of like the counseling aspect of it. Okay, let's talk about how this all started. Let's talk about, you know, where your you know journey started. Um, so I mean, we should be in, involved in every aspect, but I think outpatient, um, is where like that true work comes in and, you know, where we talk about how this all kind of came about. Well, and I think a big part of that has to do, like, obviously if their body's in like such a state of stress, like there's no way that they can even like have the emotional regulation to be able to dig into like what the why behind it all. Right. It literally is like, let's get your body and brain back to right. Like a stable or homeostasis where we can actually, okay, now you can actually critically think about right. things. Cause it, right. It's like, that's yep. how it works. Is it very quickly spirals you into almost like an like addiction or like kind of that way of thinking that you can't see beyond where you are exactly um, I think when you're in it but once you get out of that because of you know balancing things and stuff so um so now obviously having like because you work so much with folks that deal with eating disorders and things like that you obviously do get to see where does it start how does it start for a lot of people and one of the main things that you're passionate about talking about is almost how to how we can prevent it almost or not that you can prevent it but right um you can as a as a family unit how you can prepare kids to be more uh, to have a healthier relationship with their bodies but also with food and things like that so was, was that always a core focus for you or is that something that came out of you doing the outpatient work and recognizing like yeah it's great that I can help you in the aftermath but like now that I see there's maybe some common things happening is that what happened Yes. Um, that actually, it was kind of twofold. I had my daughter in the middle of the pandemic. And of course, there's a million different things on social media of how to parent, how to feed, how to do all these things. And as a dietitian, I'm like, oh, well, like, I don't know what's right. I'm just trying to get her fed. That's the whole point, right? Um, and then on top of that, when I was working in a residential facility, talking with, you know, the patients there, you wouldn't believe how many people, I mean, maybe you will believe, but <laughs> the, a lot of things they would say is, oh, my mom would never have that in the house. My mom would never let me eat that, you know, and there is no like way to 100% prevent, you know, eating disorders because they're so complex and there's still so much that we actually don't know about eating disorders. Um, and, you know, it can be from like, you know, seeing your parents, and their relationship with food. Um, it can very much so be trauma-based. It can be from you know social media that we start to pick up on things. Um, so there is no one 100% guarantee, but creating that safe space within the family that, hey, you know, these things are okay. And when you see it in the outside world, know that you have this like grounded technique of dealing with those things. Um, so yeah, I, the sort of, how did it all begin? That's kind of where I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much we could talk about here. So 
yeah, that's how I kind of got into this. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's amazing though. And I think that is something a lot of people, especially like in North America, I find our culture is very much like reactionary. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, there's a problem. Now let's fix it instead of being preventative and thinking about like, hey, maybe if we did this, we wouldn't have to deal with that later Um, <laughs> in, in most cases. Right. So I feel that when it comes to things like eating disorders um, and things like that, there is a lot, well, not a lot, but there is more help once you have a diagnosed eating disorder than there is actual guidance before that it gets to that point um and obviously we're seeing a lot of changes on social media as people start sharing their stories um and things how they've gotten themselves through their own body image stuff but that doesn't really help the younger generations or the parents of those younger generations um to kind of create habits in the family lifestyle because there's not like there's no parenting handbook like everyone always says that I don't have kids but like (laughs) I know there's no handbook right and so like so you are just trying again living day to day trying to just like keep them alive the best that you can (laughs) and everyone's doing the best that they can but sometimes um like I think parents are just humans Right. And I think that's the part that gets missed. And so they have to deal with their shit in order so that shit doesn't get passed on to their kids. Um, And that's the hard part, because when when do you have time? Right. Right. That's the thing. (laughs) Um, But that's that's the hurdle that I see a lot of people, especially parents, come into when it comes to working with their children with body image. Um, yes. And I was actually just at a conference where every, like I talked about body image and they're like, oh, I need you to talk to my daughter. I need you to talk to my son. I need you to do the work. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like I can go in for like two hours and have a conversation about body image and that's going to be great. But if they go home and you're like, oh, I hate the way my body looks or that's good food and that's bad food and you shouldn't do this. It's right. not going to matter what I say. Like you are the one that has to work with your child to make exactly. So what are some methods or like things that people can start to do to create a safer environment for their children around food and relationships with food and body image in general? So I think one of the main things, and I think we are all guilty of doing this is commenting on our own bodies commenting on other people's bodies and whether it's positive or negative, I think that's one thing that kind of people maybe don't think about is, well, I didn't say anything bad. I was saying how great it's like either way, either way, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that you're saying, it still sends that message that we can judge other people or the way someone looks has any kind of, you know, meaning to who they are as a person. Um, So I think that's one thing is, you know, no comments. It's something that's a rule in my household. No one's allowed to talk about their own body or (laughs) other people's bodies. Um, And I think the biggest thing, and this can be another big struggle for families is letting kids, you know, eat the way they're going to eat. I think one of the hardest um, things is being a parent or even a caregiver is it's just so instinctual that for that you're person to survive so you know we're like you need to eat if a kid's not hungry they're not going to eat and that's okay you know we all go through different growth you know periods in our early childhood and our needs are going to be you know vary to match the the growth of the or the non-growth periods so for kids they are so in tune with like their, their intuition of eating and knowing what their body needs Unfortunately, it's something they learn to sort of distrust, you know, as they see, you know, parents and family and friends start to like say, you know, well, you have to eat vegetables before you can have dessert. People are mind blown when I say, you know, oh, you know, my daughter had two bites of her dinner and she wants ice cream so she can have, a, you know, a bowl of ice cream. It's like, well, she didn't finish eating her dinner. She doesn't have to. She doesn't need to earn that ice cream by eating a whole plate of dinner. Um, you think about ourselves, if, you know, we tell ourselves, okay, well, I can't have dessert until I finish my dinner. I'm full after I eat my dinner. But if I, you know, save that dessert for after you're going to, you know, you're going to eat it even if you're full because you're like, well, I waited for this moment. Right. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is 
not using food as a reward or a punishment, or, you know, you don't have to earn the right to eat certain foods, um, whether it's ice cream, an apple, cookies, whatever it is. I feel like there's so much like weight placed on these sort of, you know, you know, junk or bad foods that everyone thinks, you know, we have to limit. And it's, it's not the case. And I know people are going to be like, she's like pulling my leg. There's no way that my kid's not going to just gorge themselves on cookies if I let them. You know what, if that's what they're hungry for, then let them eat what they want to eat. Um, but yeah, but my think, biggest but, thing. But that also is like when when kids do that, because they don't know, like that's how they learn too, is like, oh, when I eat a lot of this thing, like I don't feel good. And is that something that you encourage instead of saying like this food is good or this food is bad, encouraging them to like help their children critically think about like, well, how does that make you feel when you eat that thing? Or like, how does it feel in your body? Like, is that a route that you take as well? Yeah. Sorry. My daughter just walked in my office here. That's okay. Thank That's you. like that. Totally informal. <laughs> um, yeah. So a lot of times, you know, when we're feeding our kids, it's there's Oh, there we go. There we go. I, was like, I paused it because uh, I was like, I don't know, something's happening here. <laughs> I know. I was like, maybe she's just looking intently at me. And I was like, nope, she's frozen. <laughs> nope, it's frozen. Yeah, because I saw you freeze and I was like, oh no, here it goes. But this happens a lot. Uh, I, I'm like above my garage and like anytime oh. anybody like moves the house, like my internet cuts out <laughs> <laughs> for just like a few seconds. And it's like, oh no, yeah. everything's okay. So we're good. <laughs> So back, back on track anyways. Um, so yeah. So what were, what were you saying about, uh, yeah. Like talking to kids about food and like how it makes them feel and things like that. Yeah. So again, it's, and this is where your own kind of work with your own relationship with food comes in hand, where if you're, um, talking about food in general and categorizing as good, bad, healthy, not healthy, you know, even, and this might seem silly, you know, that's a breakfast food, that's a lunch food, you know, why? <laughs> Who's coming to arrest you if you eat pancakes for dinner type thing? <laughs> um, so I just don't ever in terms of food speak in like absolutes, like, oh, well, that's a junk food, we can't eat that right now. It's, you know, or that's the snack food, we can't have that right now. It's just food, you know, it, whenever I'm preparing a meal, it's okay, here we, you know, you can, if the kids are old enough to kind of understand, oh, we have our carbohydrates, which give us energy, our protein, which helps us build muscle, we have our fats, which, you know, help us, uh, there's a million things that fats do, but, you know, give us, help us absorb vitamins, you know, things like that, where we can talk very, like, basic nutrition, but to kind of label things, is that's going to perpetuate that idea of, you know, oh, I shouldn't be eating this and that's not healthy. Um, even commenting, I think on kids, like the way they eat, they're like, oh, you have such a big appetite. Mm. Should I not have a big appetite? Should I not be this hungry? Um, and, and I know it's not usually done in a place of like, you know, I'm shaming you, but it's those little comments I think that people don't necessarily understand do have a big effect and you don't know what's going on in, you know, children's minds as far as how they're kind of absorbing these comments and these, you know, things that we're saying and it gets kind of compounded on until sometimes, yeah, eating disorders can, or well, disordered eating. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing. Like I always think of diet culture is literally the death by a thousand paper cuts. Like it's not, it's not like one instance, somebody said something about your body and that's it. That's right. the end of it. It literally is like somebody said something like that maybe hurt you or made you feel humiliated about your body when you were a child. So that like obviously deep seated in there, but then yep confirmation bias sets in and so like you're looking for confirmation of that story so when your parents say say something like that we're like oh you've got a big appetite meanwhile like you know months ago somebody said oh you're getting chubby or whatever the thing is in a not nice way 
Um, Your brain's like, oh, okay, should I not do that? Is this something that's not good? And it's like all of that stuff just compounds, compounds, compounds uh, until you're like, oh, this is bad. Like this is bad. This body is bad. Um, And the way I do things is bad. And obviously we know shame is not a great driving force to create a healthy relationship with food, right? Right. Because it can uh, create uh, disordered eating in the other direction, which is like emotionally eating or like out of spite. That's something that I definitely do is eat out of spite, right? Instead of like, well, they told me I can't do that. So I'm going to do it twice. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like the rebelliousness (laughs) in me is like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it. Um, and, And that's not helping me either. Right. Right. And that's the thing. So it's just disordered eating in a totally different, you know, the, the non-traditional way that we see disordered eating being. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned uh, before we got on the call here is the importance of also just creating a safe space in general for children to grow up within their identity, um, because you see that play a big part in them turning to food as a coping mechanism, um, either controlling food or um, over overeating or whatever it is, um, in order to deal with them not feeling safe in who they are as people if i'm getting that right feel free to correct me yes. if i just fucked yes. up but um yeah that, so yeah, talk, about, totally right. talk about that a little bit <laughs> so yeah i mean like i said we cannot unfortunately protect our kids from the outside world and the you know messages from diet culture the body shaming whatever it is like unfortunately it's out there and they're going to at some point come across it but the point of kind of fostering that relationship within like your own household is that your child can go out and see these things and or be exposed to these things and come back to you in your household and say I know I'm safe here I know that my body's okay here you know it's not me that's like broken or wrong or you know unworthy it's you know these people that are giving me these messages if you know someone if a kid's having you know, a hard time with their body and we're kind of making those comments and, oh, well, maybe we should, you know, start walking outside and, you know, your weight's getting up there. And then they go and see, you know, body shaming things on social media. Where are they going to go to be like happy and healthy and feel safe? I think that's the biggest thing is feeling safe. There's really not much other place. So, I mean, unfortunately, that's going to lead to probably disordered eating one way or another, whether it's heavy, heavy restriction or emotional eating to the point of, you know, overeating where, you know, they're might end up having to compensate in certain ways for that. Um, So setting up your kids with a good foundation, with a good relationship with food, so that when they hear something that maybe doesn't mesh with that, you know, foundation, they can be like, well, you know what? I know that that's not true. I know that that's incorrect. I know that this is like the good safe place. This is, this is where I need to be. Um, And a lot of that's going to take some, you know, introspection on parents' parts too. You know, I'm 30. I grew up with my mom who, (laughs) no problem. So friends, my internet cut out again. I don't know what's happening. The wind blew the wrong direction. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, you were telling your story about growing up um, like in your household, what it was like. Um, so feel free to continue telling your story about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I'm 30. I'm a millennial. And I think a lot of like this generation and even maybe the you know next generation too, but our parents grew up with the, you need to finish what's on your plate, no food, you know, after a certain time, I know specifically my mom, she grew up with a really, you know, strict stepmother who would say, you know, you're getting overweight. You're not allowed to eat this, but your sister who isn't overweight can eat it, you know? Yeah. Like hiding food, you know, she, so she's in a very toxic food environment. And I think with like me and my brothers, the whole thing was, I'm not going to ever do that to my own children. So she wasn't perfect by any means because none of us are, but she definitely made strides not to do those types of things to us. So we never had to finish our plate. Um, 
there was certainly junk food that, you know, we were told is unhealthy, but even as a dietitian, I'm still struggling with those things. And I do have to remind myself and, you know, I'll put M&Ms with my daughter's lunch and think, is this right? And I'm like, yes, it's right. Because she loves M&Ms and she's got her turkey, which is her protein. She's got her cucumber slices that she loves and she has cheese and she's got crackers. So yeah, this is a totally healthy balanced meal and I know she's going to enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it's, those things can definitely be hardwired and it's going to take like active self-talk to kind of say, all right, that's a whole bunch of bullshit. I don't need to like listen to it and project that onto my own kids. So, you know, I think we're kind of watering it down as, you know, new generations come. It's, we're all trying to, you know, change the course of our parenting essentially. Um, so yeah, I think recognizing your own sort of beliefs, rules, rituals, whatever you have kind of in your own life with food um, and taking a step back and assessing where did that come from? Why am I like this? Is it because of my parenting? Did I have something, you know, in my life that led me to this point? Um, and that's when we can start to sort of like change the way we teach our kids. It's not going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I don't expect <laughs> anybody to be a perfect, you know, eater or parenting yeah. or anything like that. Um, but it's also, if you do catch yourself doing something with your children that you're like, oh God, that's probably not a good message to send. Taking the time to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And correcting. I think there's so much value in that admitting you were wrong and apologizing and like, you know, moving on. Yeah. Um, cause I know that can be scary when people think like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe I made that comment. That's okay. But it's how you fix it after the fact. I think that's like a huge thing. Um, and I talked about this on a previous podcast with my friend Elizabeth, who's raising two kids. And that's a, that's a huge thing that even though I'm not a parent, but I encourage parents to, be honest and transparent with their kids and be like, you know what? We're just figuring this out together, to be honest. Right. And like, that will go a lot further than thinking you need, you're like up on a pedestal in some yes. capacity, because like at some point there, your kids are going to find out you're a human and then you're going <laughs> to, and then there's going to be shame that comes with that. So instead, like talking about that early on and saying like, Hey, we're just all figuring this out as we go along. I'm trying to do this differently. No matter how young the kids are, like they will appreciate that empathy mm -hmm. and the compassion you show yourself, because then not only are you like working through the body image stuff, but you're also role modeling how, when you have an unproductive thought or yes. you do or behavior that like you don't want that you do, but you didn't mean to do you're role modeling to them, how you can come into alignment with who you want to be like. And I think that will go much further than telling them, this is how you change your behavior or this is right. how you change a thought, like actively showing and apologizing and the follow-up work that happen that should happen when we, it, you know, lash out or say something that we're like, ah, oh, shit, that was a old thought that I used to have. Yeah. And again, we all do that, but it's like, what do you do after you do that? That's what will make the difference more so than, oh, because if you fall into shame about that thought, that's not going to help anyone. Right. Right. Shame yeah. helps nobody. Um, so the more you can open up that dialogue with the kids and kids are freaking smart, man, and they're creative. <laughs> yeah. So they might be able to come up like they can help people become more accountable to the things they say because they like to be part of that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that I started to do with my nieces and nephews, which now they probably hate me for, it, but no, they, they will love me for it when they're older. Is that right. when they watch <laughs> cartoons and they'd like, they'd be making fun of like fat characters on the cartoon, you know, cause the fat person's always the, either the joke or yep. the villain. Like those are the two, those are our two roles. And so I'd yep. pause their cartoons and I'd be like, so why do we think that this is funny? And you could just see the <laughs> discomfort in their bodies because they were like, oh, right. no, there's something to learn here. Um, but even that, instead of me telling them 
that it was wrong to laugh at fat bodies. I needed them to understand, like, if you want to do that, that's fine, but you need to understand why you're doing it in the first place. Right. Yes. Right. And so I think that's a similar approach to when it comes to food. Like you said, when kids are born, they know this is when they're babies, they cry when they're hungry and they don't cry when they're not. Well, I mean, they cry yeah. a lot of the time, but um, most of the time, <laughs> yeah, basically every time, but, um, but, but they will know, like they know when they're hungry. And I know similar to you, I'm in my like late thirties. Yep. Our parents and then the generation before, that was like the height of diet culture. Like yes. every diet under the sun, right? Trying to look like Cindy Crawford, trying to mm-hmm. look like all these like supermodels of the 90s. Um, that was like Atkins, South Beach, cabbage soup diet, like all oh. these, and there's like new <laughs> lifestyles now, which are essentially those repackaged. But exactly. like but I feel like that was like the pinnacle of it. And so we are the generation that is dealing with the aftermath of a lot. Yes, 100%. Like where where they started to confuse the idea of health with diet. So mm-hmm. talk as a dietitian, talk to, talk to me about that a lot. Because a lot of times parents will say things like, well, I just want my kids to be healthy. So right. let's talk about this concept of health, shall we? Yes. Um, this is, I love this topic because that usually is the sort of instant kind of kickback. It's like, well, I just want them to eat healthy and be healthy. Cool. We all do. That's like not saying we're not trying to be healthy, but weight does not equate to health, which I think is a topic that's being talked a lot about, talked a lot about more. Did I just say that right? Anyway, (laughs) talked about a lot more. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, and you know, here's the thing with the whole approach of intuitive eating, I think a lot of people in their minds think that as, as we're, you know, promoting this approach, it's like, oh, well, you're just saying to eat, you know, pizza and cake all day. No, I'm saying if you're craving, you know, a slice of pizza, you're free to eat that pizza. And the more that we sort of get rid of these rules and, you know, the food police, the idea of the food police and, you know, diets in general, your body will like tell you what you want to eat. There's days where I can't wait to just like go to town on a friggin' loaded salad. Like people are like, like salad, that's a diet food. No, it, it can be delicious. But there's other days where I wake up and I'm like, I just want like, a donut because that's what I'm craving in that moment. So we, if we get to that point where we're listening to our bodies and letting our kids listen to their bodies, they will eat what they need to eat in order to like get all the nutrition they need, match the energy, the calories that they need in order to grow and do all the crazy things kids do. Um, An example I like to use, my daughter has, you know, unrestricted access to food, meaning she doesn't have to earn it. She doesn't have to eat one thing in order to get a different thing. There's times where if, you know, she wants a cookie and I let her have a cookie for her snack and I'm cutting up, you know, a cucumber for myself, she'll also want some of that cucumber and she eats those two things. So if I said, no, you need to eat some, you know, cucumbers before you eat that cookie, that cookie would become like this forbidden food that anytime she's allowed to eat it, now she's going to like only eat it. So kind of fostering that, like, Hey, what do you feel like eating? You know, and not to say that we should be as parents should be short order cooks. Cause that's not the point, but it's presenting them with a variety of foods. And, you know, another thing too, is when parents are like, Oh, my kid wants his pasta. Okay. That's great. That's nothing bad's going to happen if that if they eat pasta three days in a row I promise like pasta is full of nutrients it's got vitamins it's got you know carbs it's it's, and some of them have protein so we're not like missing out on a whole bunch right now um but you know it's when we're trying to introduce new foods to our kids it's give them the pasta and then give them the new food it takes about like 10 tries before a kid will actually accept and eat a new food. And that's something I think that drives parents nuts. Cause they're like, I gave them broccoli and they're not eating it. Mm. Okay. Keep giving them the broccoli along with the food that they actually like to eat. Because if we're forcing this 
you know food down their throat they're gonna be like broccoli yeah yeah they're gonna be like no I don't want this it's like we have to be flexible and patient which I am gonna be the first to tell you is not an easy thing to do with kids it's I understand that that's a huge especially when they're getting to that age of independence and there's a little bit of a power struggle um but I think, again, that's where that if we can set that foundation of food is not food doesn't have to be a battle, mm-hmm. then that's just one thing, one less thing that we have to worry about as we're kind of going through those stages of. Well, that's of, the thing. Yeah. Like, like it might be a quick fix now to just be like, just sit there and like stay at the table until you finish your dinner. But what kind of issue is that going to cause down the road? Right. Right. Like I like even still, that was like I grew up in a farm family that was not like super well off. And so it was you sit at the table. And one time I fell asleep like because I like I fell asleep (laughs) at the table because I didn't want to eat my potatoes. Right. Right. And so like like because of that, now I have anxiety about leaving food on my plate. And it's taken me a lot of like work to re I was like, I never realized that's what it was until I Mm -hmm. was like on a cruise ship where you have unlimited access to food. And yeah. I was like, why do I still care that I eat every single thing that's on my plate? If I know I can, like, if I'm going to be hungry, I can go get food at any point, really. And yeah. I tracked it back to when I was a kid, like, you eat everything on your plate. There's starving children in Africa, which is a super right. racist comment anyways. <laughs> like, Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, all the shit that they used to say in the 80s and 90s um to make us do the things like and I get it yes like you said as a parent it's not easy to you know to have the patience in those times when kids are like but I don't want it right <laughs> you know and you're just like just fucking eat the potato just, just like, eat, just eat them. <laughs> right like obviously it's going to be difficult sometimes but the rep- the repetition of making somebody sit at the table until their food is done and yeah And going back, and this kind of ties into identity too, because uh, for myself growing up as a kid, like I always prided myself on being the good kid in the family. Yeah. And so as the good kid, I never wanted to disappoint my parents. So one way to not disappoint my parents was to make sure everything on my plate was eaten, even if my body was like, we're so full. Stop eating, please. (laughs) Yeah. But my identity meant that I had to override what my body was saying in order to uphold to get love the way that my brain decided that I needed to get love. Yes. Um, Yeah. Is that something that you see a a lot, like not a lot, but like when you're working with uh, young people with eating disorders and things like that is kind of that tie in with identity and like, or these identities that they hold for themselves and how that plays out in food in their relationship. Yes. 100%. Um, There was a patient once who came from a, a family that everyone else in the family was in larger bodies and they were the only one who was in a smaller body. And that was always from the time they were little until, you know, they grew up. That was like the thing about them is, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're the small one. You're the little one of the family. So that became that person's identity. Unfortunately that led to, you know, an eating disorder and an unhealthy relationship with exercise because they so badly were like clinging to that single identity. Mm -hmm. And it made me sad to think that it's like, it's just your body. That's all that you are, you know, identifying with your, like with the world. So yeah, it's like I said, it's things that we don't necessarily think when we're saying them that this is going to have a lasting effect or even a compounding effect but it does. It's like, I've seen it it happen in real time that, you know, it's like these things matter. Um, And again, we're not going to be perfect. It's how do we kind of the, you know, open up that road, that dialogue, that relationship to talk about when we do make mistakes and correcting when we may say something that's, you know, not conducive to a healthy relationship. So I think um, that's one thing. I would stress to parents, caregivers, um, you know, family, people that just are around children in general is 
you know, think of food as it's like, it's vital for life. That's literally all it is. Food works with us, not against us. And that's something diet culture tends to promote is, oh, food's bad. Hunger is bad. Don't you know, fight your hunger. It's like, why? It's literally my body telling me to nourish myself. Um, so think of food, and this is not an easy thing to do by any means, but think of food, you know, just as a very, you know, basic thing. It's, it's morally neutral. We don't have to, you know, make good choices or there's no good or bad thing to eat. Um, and eventually I'm hoping that that'll be more of the message is, you know, it's important just to, you know, nourish ourselves, not necessarily by organic or, you know, this healthy version of this food that's, we're just trying to feed ourselves. We're trying to like get in adequate nutrition. And, and for a lot of families, like you mentioned, maybe that don't have the financial resources to, you know, buy all these expensive products. That's like my biggest pet peeve is frozen veggies are just as nutritious as fresh veggies, like canned things, you know, shelf stable food items that are the versions of fresh items are just as good. And people that rely on those items are led to feel guilty or that it's unhealthy. Mm. And that's not the case. It's like we can feed ourselves in many different ways. There's no one right way to do it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up is like the classism that happens with diet culture. Like, like you mentioned uh, before we got on, like all these things are intertwined, racism, classism, like it's all intertwined um, to play a part. And I consider like diet culture is essentially the like colonization of our bodies. It separates our knowing of ourselves from like our bodies know what they want and our brains know what they want until something tells us otherwise or there's a reward for being a different way um and so on but that's something that we can like fight back against right but the classism that exists within um diet culture is horrendous like the way people judge people for the foods that they eat not even like giving it a second thought like not everyone can afford organic artisanal breads (laughs) like or whatever the thing is you know what I mean like not everyone has that especially like you're in the U.S. correct yes yeah and it's like even more noticeable in the U.S. than it is here in Canada I think like we still it's still bad here but it's not as bad as in the U.S. like very much there's like huge discrepancies in food deserts and things like that where people don't even have like there's like a city right now in your country that doesn't even have drinking water well and in Canada we have a lot of reservations that don't have clean drinking water and it's like you all everyone cares about health until it comes time to break down these systems that are actually perpetuating poor health exactly it's yeah it's frustrating to be like on social media and I'm not like, uh, I'm not, I'm not super big on my social media. I'm just kind of, I'd prefer to be like, do things locally, but I, that's one thing I see all the time. And I see a lot of other like in dietitian or dietitian influencers on social media fighting against those messages. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm here to cheer you on. Like keep doing what you're doing because yeah, it's utterly insane when people walk through grocery stores and they're like, don't buy this, buy this. But it's like, one is way more expensive than the other and they're they're both fine if you have the means and you want to spend all the money go for it and buy that option but the cheaper more accessible option is just as good like we don't need to shame people for buying groceries that aren't you know breaking the bank um and yeah that's that's i'm gonna get like I'm going to get on my podium here, but yeah, it, I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's not, it's so frustrating to me because for some people, it's just about getting fed and feeding their children and feeding their families. And, you know, as a dietitian, I can work with people to say, okay, what can we get that's, you know, on a budget that we can, you know, getting all your needs met. Like, I don't need someone in the background saying like, Hey, that's not healthy. <laughs> I I think that's where having having a dietitian, nutritionist, naturopath, like whatever, like something that's actually like well versed in 
current times <laughs> right. and not not upholding these like very classist racist ways of thinking about food and instead are like no 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 hold up everyone like calm down yeah like that it's fine <laughs> food is food is food uh at the end of the day and having that because i do i do understand that people like maybe you'll agree with this but like there's so much information now available to yeah. us that it can be overwhelming that people just resort back to what they've always done right that exactly. seems to be the case for a lot of different things not just diet diet culture or the way we think but like about our bodies it's just easier because it's the way that it's always been done and there's so much confusing information that i don't know what's right exactly. um and so that's where that's where i think like just finding somebody that is a nutritionist that um you know that is up to date with like right. and has and has a well-rounded perspective on more than just food being the issue right i think that was the thing like and maybe correct me if i'm wrong but like when you went to school for nutrition mm -hmm. they talk about all that other stuff did they talk about the impacts of body image or what it means to live in a fat body or did they talk about food deserts did they talk like probably not they're just like here's the science of food and right what it should be yeah right and here's you know if they have this disease here's how we need to alter their diet but it was very like cut and dry and I do love like the clinical side of food because it can like do so much for us and it's amazing what we can you know do with our to our body health wise with food but there also is such a lack of discussion around I mean my my eating disorder training in my actual schooling was like half a powerpoint and it was I going through that and then like in my dietetic internship you know going through and learning more about eating disorders and working with people with eating disorders I was like wow I, I would really want to email that professor and be like can we change your slides because these are just so not how it should be taught <laughs> yeah but that's but that's yeah the thing, right and I, I feel I remember somebody saying it's the same in the medical industry like they have like one day where they talk about nutrition and like yep. to be a doctor you're like you talk about nutrition like and essentially it can be very fat shamey and very like anti like mm -hmm. right and there's like all of that stuff that affects people's actual health um which yep. isn't talked about so I think it, it's a great uh, I think it's a great way for people to understand that there is diet dietitians and nutritionists are a great resource that you can use if you are looking for guidance in that realm. Um, because instead of going just to the internet and getting overwhelmed, like actually yes. contact a dietitian and be like, Hey, just go for a consultation. Like that's yeah. the thing. Right. Um, and, but make sure that like, I like, I went to your website and I like that. It says like, um, you know, you're pro two SLGBTQIA, like you're, yep. like, yeah. You're supportive of identity, like people's people, essentially right. all people, whoever all you are, the people that just want <laughs> help. Right. And that's one thing I always kind of start with my clients is I will never prescribe weight loss. That's We'll, we'll never talk about that in our sessions. Um, and I know for some people that might be a relief, but some people might be like, well, that's not what I'm here for. I want you to tell me how to lose weight. Well, I'm not going to help you do that. I'm sorry. I'm here to, you know, heal your relationship with food. Mm -hmm. um, and just to kind of talk more about like, you know, health and food and, you know, sort of the fat phobia that's kind of within our medical system. That's another point too, is like weight is always blamed for health issues, but we're not taking into consideration genetics, lifestyle factors. The fact that people who are in larger bodies are typically going to avoid the doctor because they don't want that speech or to be dismissed because they're having an issue and it's their weight is blamed for it. So now we're not really getting adequate health care or preventative care, I should say. So there might be an underlying issue, but it's not checked because you know, people are afraid to go to the doctor. We don't want to be yeah. told that, oh, your problems are just because of your weight. Okay, that's not helpful in any way, shape or form, but thanks. So there's so much weight put on weight when it comes to our health. And I just think that's our, you know, focus should be kind of 
on a much broader spectrum of factors. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, yeah, it's something I don't know. We got to change our system here. (laughs) We're we're working on it. Yeah, right. (laughs) One of the things that I started like helping people with when they come to me asking questions, well, what about my health? Like they always are like, well, I like I'm getting the surgery because of my health or I'm getting, I'm doing this diet because of my health. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Listen, I was like, what were all the, like, what are the things you want to do in terms of movement and foods that feel good for you? Like eat those things that when you eat them, you're like, yeah, that makes me feel good. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not on the toilet all day and I'm not thrown up <laughs> yeah. and I don't feel like super tired or whatever, like do those things. Weight might come off, but it also right. might not. And would you still be okay with your body if it truly right. is for health? And that's right. when you can see them be like, what? Because we've so equated that health equals weight loss. And exactly. I'm like, no, what if you did all the things to be healthy according to what you're supposed to do but the weight stayed the same right would you be upset and everyone's always like yes okay so it's not (laughs) about the health it's actually about the body size so let's talk about that and it's always they're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) you got me (laughs) yeah but I think that's the thing like a lot of people like again diet culture was wonderful in the 80s for packaging up what health looks like instead Mm -hmm. of what it is per the for the individual like nuance for the individual um and so yeah that's what we kind of have to like unpack and the problem is like there's part of me that's like yes believe doctors because obviously they're scientists but then they do things like that and you're like okay but also they're getting paid by certain companies to promote certain things as you know methods of health that are going to cause worse problems in the future for you so I don't believe that huge I I know I do kind of struggle with okay I don't want to tell people not to listen to their doctor because yes they they did a lot of training they sort of know what they're talking about but I always like to sprinkle in except with nutrition because doctors literally get like one semester of a nutrition class and it's basic medical nutrition therapy again here's a someone with you know end stage renal disease how much protein should they be getting it's that kind of thing it's not like math you know literally it's very like cut and dry this is what it is and even that is like you know yeah if if you have get a patient with that and you give them that much protein but something's still off okay well we could adjust that a little bit it's not you know there's still wiggle room and things like that so yes I know it's it is tough to be like don't listen to your doctor but you know sort of listen to your doctor <laughs> but that's what that's why I think having like dietitians naturopaths like things like that and saying like yes I'm working with a doctor but I'm also working with a therapist and I'm working with a naturopath and a dietitian and a nutritionist like having yep. multiple avenues to get like and if everyone kind of comes to the same consensus for the most part then okay that sounds like something that might be beneficial for you as the person but not for every person and I think that's the other thing that drives me nuts about diet culture um and you probably see that a lot is like everyone just thinks well this is what they did and so I need to do that and then what happens is it ends up fucking them up like either yeah. they fall into like disordered eating, which could lead to eating disorders mm-hmm. or, or worse. Like, it's just not great. So just, yeah. Yeah. It's very generalized, like nutrition advice, even in, you know, in my schooling, it's very general. Like here's generally what we do, but nutrition is so individual. Like my needs are different than this person's needs your needs you know everyone's going to be different you know what we like as far as like taste preferences you know how much you know protein we would need and I don't believe me I don't believe in counting or recording any of those numbers so nobody do that (laughs) but like all of our needs are going to be different um people that you know have celiac disease I have a friend who has celiac disease and her needs are obviously way different than mine so yeah, it's, it's tough to kind of see those messages and then have so many people take that as like, that it is, that's what it is. Yeah. It's like, 
that must be true. It's like, well, it might be, but it very well probably isn't true for you. Um, and and yeah, I think, I think it's, it's important to note too, that means as also for your kids, right? So like what right. works for you as the adult may not work for the kids either because exactly. they are also just little humans and you are a big human, right. but you are a human right. and everyone's just humans <laughs> that have different needs. Yes, genetics might be similar, but that does not mean they are the same. Like my sister's family, like her daughter has certain allergies to certain things. Her son has other things that he can't eat as much because it will cause him to have breakouts or low energy or whatever the thing is. Like everyone yep. is so individualized um, in their family. So they try to accommodate the best that they can for everyone that way. But most people don't do that. They're like, here's what you're getting Boop, across the board. Yep. And then like, yep. Yeah. And then kids are like, why am I itchy all the time? Or like, <laughs> you know, or sick all the time or whatever it is. And so I think it's important. And I think that's the part too, that people forget a bit is that kids are humans. Like they are their yes. own individual people. Um, right. And just because they came from two people does not mean that they are those the same. Right. I think, yeah, that's very true. And also, you know, we eat as adults, you know, it's like, okay, we eat kind of consistently throughout the day, you know, typically it's like three meals, maybe snacks in between. Kids don't eat that way. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of struggle with the idea of, you know, letting their kid not eat a meal. You know, if a kid eats, and I'm talking like toddler, kind of like younger age, they will could eat like two really rounded meals a day and that that's good and maybe a snack here and there if they're hungry I think letting go of the idea that kids as they're growing have to eat three full meals and maybe snacks in between like blows people's mind like oh my gosh they're not going to eat the same as me it's like no because they might be growing and they might be like really needing that extra energy and they might eat three meals a day with you but when their growth kind of tapers off for a little period of time they're not going to be as hungry and their appetite's going to adjust accordingly. And I think that's the biggest thing is let them eat according to their hunger level. Mm. Again, it's going to vary and we don't need to necessarily a comment on it, b force food, or if they're eating more than usual, cause they're growing saying, Oh, you shouldn't be eating that much. Like their body physically needs all of it. So yeah. it's kind of just stepping back, letting them, you know, be in control of how much they're going to eat. I mean, as parents were in charge of giving them food, you know, I, there's certain, you know, teachings that I think are a little bit outdated that are like, you know, we serve them a meal and that it is what it is, but that might be true. Again, I don't believe in being a short order cook either, but you know, if we make a meal, no, you know what your kid generally likes, allow that to be part of the meal too. Mm. give them something that they'll actually eat because if not then you're kind of you know sending that message of like well that's what you like isn't isn't good or isn't mm. you know this is a healthier option for you so they're still part of the family give them what they like make something that you know that they'll most likely eat and give them the space to just be there with their food eat it or not eat it it's like I said, I know it's so easy for me to sit here and say, parents do this. But when you're in that moment and you're watching your kid be like, I'm not hungry. And it's like, you need to eat. Oh my God. Like you're going to starve. They're not. Our bodies work so, so, so hard to protect us. And they know how to like signal us to do certain things as far as food and like movement goes. Mm -hmm. So um, it's like parents have to trust their kids' bodies to tell their kid what to do essentially. Because yeah, because most of us didn't, and now right. and now look at us. So <laughs> now look at us, <laughs> right? But that's the thing is, and we didn't, which is why we work ourselves to the bone, and we don't have naps, and we don't uh, drink enough water, and we mm -hmm. don't do all these things, is because we think we know best, 
but we don't um and our bodies are magical machines like that's Mm -hmm. the thing that we forget and diet culture made us think was not true um that we we don't know best our bodies do know what they need and if we stop enough to listen then and let let kids listen teach them how to listen then we'll all be better for it in the end so yes 100%. Beautiful. So before I let you go, just let people know where they can find out more about you. I know you said you're on social media. So tell us where you are on social media and your website that they can visit. So um, it's the same on basically everything. I mean, I have Instagram. That's like where I like post all my stuff. It's function well nutrition Um, on Facebook. Same thing. Function well nutrition. I do have TikTok, but I like get camera shy, so I don't always post on there. Um, so I'm sort of on TikTok, function well nutrition on there, um, or just functionwellnutrition.com. And that's where all my info is listed. Beautiful. Perfect. So people go check it out. Uh, I read some of the blog posts that you posted up there. So there's some good content in there. Uh, and thank you so much for being on the call. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yay.